You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 147 called, Is Blended Learning Still Relevant? In this episode, we'll talk all about whether or not blended learning still deserves a place in your classroom. In doing so, we're gonna share some fresh new takes on how to incorporate it within your lessons. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. episode 147 um, my voice is finally starting to come back you'll you'll hear the occasional squeak i'm sure but i'm really excited about this one this is a topic that we've covered in the past just not in this way i remember having guests on the podcast uh charity dodd we we talked with her and her work with blended learning and that was a fantastic episode to a certain extent, Kyle Nemus was on. He was more of UDL, but I oftentimes bring that in as part of something that's covered under the huge, large blended learning umbrella. But I'm really excited about this episode. How have you been since the last uh, time we recorded? It seemed like it's been about a month ago. Yeah, it's been two weeks. That feels like a month because it's the two weeks at the start of the school year. Uh, I'm good. Um, I'm doing good, feeling good, getting back into the swing of things. We're, we have no internet as we're recording this, which is, uh, you know, if you're in a school system today, you know that pretty much everything you do functions online in some aspect. So all of our prep for this episode is one pen and one piece of paper that is sitting in front of us, and we are sharing that. So we're fully going old school on this, where normally we're looking at computer screens and looking stuff up. It's kind of refreshing, uh, so that's cool. It's also gonna be refreshing to address this topic because really, you know, one of the things we're gonna look at is, is blended learning still relevant? And that's a huge question. In a way, we are analyzing ourselves. We're analyzing our own show because the title of the podcast, of course, is Got Teched, but you could kind of boil all of that down to we're sort of like a blended learning show. I mean, we talk about bringing tech into the classroom and at the same time, a lot of that tech is incorporated, blended with teaching practice. So um, it's, there's a ton to talk about here. I don't wanna you know, swoop in too quick and take the wind out of your sails, but if we're answering the question, is blended learning still relevant? Um, for me at least, the answer is a, is a resounding yes. And I'm trying to think of, of a reason that anybody would answer no. And I can't come up with one. I do think the only sort of asterisk there has to be, is it still relevant? Yeah, but we have to keep working to keep it relevant and uh, sort of keep building on what blended learning was and has been for the past 10 years. Yeah, I agree with you uh, 100%. It is still relevant. However, I feel like some areas of blended learning is becoming what we used to call the worksheet. Right. It's uh, it's it's rather dry, and uh, I think as teachers we need to build upon that. And I think you know the pandemic helped us and then hurt us when it comes to blended learning. It helped us because it forced us 
to learn new ways of incorporating things into our lessons, making them engaging while basically being in that blended learning environment where you didn't have to be within the brick and mortar of your classroom. And I think that we need to kind of do a self-assessment of our teaching practices and which ones, uh, which type of practice is becoming stale and how we can give that a boost to bring the kids back. Because when we went in pandemic teaching, we pushed ourselves to find new ways to engage these kids. And, and now that we're back in the classroom, I'm not 100% sure that we're still doing that. I'm not 100% sure that we didn't go back to old I'm going to call it primitive ways of teaching. I see a lot more lecture, worksheet, go over worksheet, see you next class than I do, you know, some of the creative ways that we were doing during COVID. Some of that, I think, is a reaction to, um, you know, students at the beginning, like, and this kind of was what inspired our more recent episode just previous to this, which was like new ideas for video projects because... At this point, our students and a lot of students have done so many video projects that when the teacher gets up and says, today we're starting a video project, that's not necessarily an exciting new thing anymore because they've done a lot of them. Another good example for us at our school, because you and I are in existence, uh, is student podcasting. At the beginning, that's a really super fun, unique project that kids have never done before. Now. You know, a kid could go through the high school where we work and do probably four different podcast projects for four different teachers because teachers see these cool things that are happening and, of course, want to replicate it and do it themselves. So you get some kids that are like, oh, great, another podcast. So I think teachers maybe start to see that and a reaction to it can be, hey, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ditch some of these projects or some of this blended learning stuff because I'm just getting eye rolls from the students. And I think that's at least part of what's going on here. And, and hopefully today's episode will, will help us some of that as we look at some of these things. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So let's go ahead and get into the bulk of this episode, and that is going to cover all the activities for blended learning. We're going to chunk this into different groups or topics within blended learning, because when I think of blended learning, I think of that umbrella. And blended learning is the word that is at the top, and all these different spokes coming down, like UDL, flipped classroom, uh, even you know the traditional learning style can be part of that blended learning classroom. So we're not forgetting about that. Uh, there are several other spokes that you could do, project-based learning, problem-based learning, uh, case studies. All these things can fit underneath this uh, umbrella. And there's also different phases of your lesson that fit under there. How can we make a do now part of your blended learning classroom? How can we make our instruction part of that, that blended learning classroom? There are several different ways to incorporate blended learning in, but let's talk about ways that we have done it or we've seen it and whether or not it still works. And if it doesn't still work, how can we make it work? Yeah, so let me, um, you know, if you bring up do now, the first, I'll be honest, what I do most of the time 
I guess it would fit with blended learning because kids are probably just answering some questions on a Google Doc, and that's because I want it to be fast. And I think that's part of this trap that a lot of teachers are falling into. Uh, a more creative version of that that can still be fast uh, and would sort of get people thinking a little bit more would be uh, the idea of a, of a video response. This is a piggyback on something from our last episode, but you know, if, if I spend 15 minutes at the beginning of a class having students try to answer some questions and then going over those answers, you could probably still spend the same 15 minutes, uh, but instead of answering questions, you ask students to kind of separate around the room, spread out in the hallway, and respond to maybe fewer questions, maybe one question, but where they talk through the responses in a video. You could even embed that straight into some sort of a shared, like a slide deck or something. And then when everybody comes back together, instead of me saying, you know, like, Mark, can you tell me what your answer to number one is? You can click through that deck and play Mark's video, and then you can hear that. There's a lot of benefits to this, and um, I think it sort of changes it up, keeps it interesting, gets the kids out of their seats, and I believe that would fit into the blended learning category too. I've only tried this once, worked pretty well. I need to tweak things a, a little bit, but um, that would be something I would go to for sure. So my do nows, I, for, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but right. I am back into the classroom for the morning and I'm teaching uh, general bio for a lever placement and uh, I'm super excited to be back. Uh, I can't believe it's been like 14 years since I taught general bio. Um, but the the teacher that's out, she's super organized and you know she gave me everything that she had. I had some stuff. So between those two things, we're making it work. But what I realized is what I did 10, 14 years ago is totally irrelevant. It, 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 not the content, but the way that I deliver it is, right. is terrible. It's a question of the day or do now. And really, it's just asking them two questions. And the way I asked it was terrible. I, <laughs> I look back, I'm like, man. Did I just grow this much, or was I really that bad? That should be this whole episode, is how did guys do 10 years ago the last time he was teaching bio? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've taught AP bio since then, but that's a totally different beast, right. and you know that. Yeah. You know. But one of the things is I like to, like, I'm being more forward-thinking. I, I know what the end goal is for that unit. So instead of always doing, like, two questions about what we learned the day before or, or maybe what do we know about you know the lesson of that day I am now doing these 45 second one minute video clips that are part of a larger project but they get to start thinking about it now so we're heading into the ecology unit and the last lesson before the test is human impact how is human impact uh, influence the world okay so my do nows for this whole unit are going to be either a very short article or a very short video uh, or just pictures of certain ways that humans have impacted the world I'm thinking mountaintop mining I'm thinking Pacific garbage patch I'm thinking pollution oil spills things like that Get them start thinking about these big events 
And then as we cover them, I can then use those as experiences because videos, even though you're watching it, you get a unique perspective that you do not get from a story or you don't get from an article. Right. So I'm going to use these in the classroom as teachable moments after we've gone over them. And I think that's a great way to kind of, I almost find this as tree roots. You know, when, when I teach like this, I think of it as tree roots. There are some roots that go straight down and there's not really any branches off. That's a tap root. All right. But if you get these uh, roots that go down and branch off and everything, those thicker branches are these experiences that I'm able to give my students through these experiences. Like, you know, for some, I did the bald eagle camera. So you have a nesting bald eagle, you know, pair with with eggs and everything, and we're just watching them. Now, how, what's the human interference of that? I get to tell a story about how they were endangered. I get to tell a story about why they were endangered. And the students get to make these inferences from their observations as why this is important. So all these brought into a do now takes less than five minutes every day. I think they get more out of that. So I think do nows are relevant as long as we make those changes. Yeah, and if you're a science teacher listening to this, um, what you're saying fits in really well with uh, NGSS, I don't know if style is the word, but the whole concept of teaching phenomena first, right? So before you get into the content or before you even show objectives, you show the real life uh, thing that's happening, right? And, And then go back and relate the teaching to that. It helps with buy-in and all kinds of great stuff. Uh, so awesome idea there. Let's let's shift to providing instruction itself, sort of the next phase of the classroom. Uh, if, you're, if you've been listening to the show, you know that I'm a big fan of the flipped classroom. I think it works particularly well for what I teach, which is chemistry, uh, because there's a lot of skills in teaching chemistry that I think require direct instruction. Flipped lets me do that in a way that allows the student to access the content over and over and over again. Um, I will say, it kind of goes along with this episode, a lot of, not so much my students, but a lot of the chem teachers who have also bought onto Flipped Classroom because of you know the work that you and I have done, um, starting to see some pushback from the kids. They don't want to watch the videos, they watch too many videos, and they're sort of finding ways to skip watching the videos or figuring out that they can kind of get by in class having not watched the video and ways to fight against that. Uh, so one thing that I'm trying to modify that to make it better is it's still technically a flipped classroom. I'm still sort of pacing out. Tonight you should watch this, tomorrow this, the following day this video to keep them on a schedule. Um, but the videos have decreased in length and are now super, super short. I'm talking like two minutes or less. My number was always five minutes or less shooting for two minutes or less. There may have to be more of them. And all those videos are no longer just the homework um, where it feels like, oh, this is my homework now. Those videos are part of a larger scale project. An example for me would be, um, you know, students have to give a, uh, a marketing presentation on a new product. As a chem teacher, that new product is some chemical and as they market this new chemical, they have to talk about the bonding within that chemical. So they are learning about chemical bonding. Part of the project or the different phases of the project is 
to do this thing for the project, you have to watch this, these, this set of videos, and this should be on day one. Um, so the students are responding better to it, one, because the videos are shorter, two, because it's in, in the context of this larger scale project. So it's like blending, and I don't even want to use that word because it feels like we're, I'm tying it into obviously with this, uh, this episode, but I'm blending together like project-based learning with flipped classroom with probably three other things. And um, I don't know, we'll see how it goes. So far, I'm feeling positive about it and I'm getting some good feedback, but I think that's the type of thing we're talking about today. I think uh, you're you're missing a key component of what you're actually doing, and that's bringing in real-world experience. Yeah. You're showing them, you're tying in marketing to content, and I think that's fun for the students. I think that's refreshing for the students because you often get the question, why are we doing this? Why do I need to know this? Well, guess what? You're doing this because it's giving you a skill for your next chapter. and. In, in the world, whether it's going to school further or going into the real world. And I think that's super important. So I agree with you. I love the flip classroom. I do it. Uh, I do it this year. I just give them the nuts and bolts and I give them a guided notes packet. I try to keep mine under five minutes. Uh, I just did one that was nine and I could have broke it up into two, but I have to think about the kids in my class. And I told them, hey, you have three days to watch this nine minute video. Right. I left it all together because there are six steps of the scientific method. And I want you to be able to go in and realize the order of those steps. So what I did is I threw it on YouTube and I, I did the uh, chapters in there. So I, was, I said the first day, I want you to go over you know, the first three parts of the scientific method. The second day was the second three parts of the scientific method. And the third day, I had a couple problems that I went over. So even though it was one one video, I only gave them three parts of it, which made it like a three-minute video. But for some of my students, they need to see the whole picture. Right. Even if they don't understand it the first time. So when they come in the classroom, I always do an example problem based on that video and then we go and do it. So I love the flipped aspect. I wanna make sure that my uh, my students that are special education are taken care of, uh, meaning that I don't want them to feel anxious or stressed out because they're trying to keep up with the notes that I'm doing in, cl in the classroom. So I give them that as you know what they do at home. Yep. However, my only requirement is that that packet, that note packet is filled out. So some of these students can get it from our activities because each one of my activities, I have three main points there. It might be three definitions of vocab words, whatever it is, but they can get the bulk of that packet by doing the intro to that activity. So I do have those videos that they could watch. I come in if, if we're doing for example uh the eight characteristics of life all right there's a three minute video on that they come into the classroom i go over those eight things but what i do that i didn't do in the video is i give them an example a concrete example or examples i should say 
and I walk them through those eight characteristics. Once we're done with that, we're going into some type of activity. We just did an infographic for the eight characteristics of life. And what I did to streamline that and so they could get basic skills of Canva is I made the infographic. I showed them how to change the colors if they wanted to. I put all the title heads there that said like made up of cells, maintains an internal stable environment, those types of things. And what all they had to do was find pictures that represented that and answer one question underneath each one of those topic heads. So it took them, instead of taking them like a whole class period or a class period and a half to devo- to make it from scratch, they got to change it up, you know, the colors up if they wanted to, and all they had to do is drag and drop. And they were super proud of them because they looked great. And they understood the information. So this is just an example of using a tech tool after you've already done your instruction, whether it's face-to-face. Sometimes we need that face-to-face interaction because there's an experience that you could give those kids. Like you teach through humor, okay, A and pictures. Time, yeah. I teach through humors and facial expressions. I mean, I, I sound like Eeyore. I have to be animated up there. Every lesson is a performance. But what I'm getting at here is sometimes that's valuable. Sometimes your students would rather have that than any other type of instruction. So just because, you know, blended learning says that, you know, things have to be blended, not everything does. And that old school face-to-face instruction could be what your class needs. And if it is, don't put your class at a disadvantage. Do it that way, and maybe the activities are flipped. I don't know. That's, that's what I like to do. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point. It, I'll just add in that this is a good time to remember that part of the overlap, I think, between blended learning and what you mentioned at the beginning, UDL, which is the universal design for learning. To me, very similar. Uh, the difference being UDL would require that uh, there's choices, right? So I think a lot of teachers who try flipped are still so focused on the flipped Uh, you know the video is the homework and you have to watch it and you guys aren't watching the video and you have to watch the video Uh, one as long as they learn the content uh, who really cares right like say you're using Edpuzzle so you can track who's watching the video who's not and how much they've watched Uh, you may have some kids that are smart enough to not watch the video and like you said just answer the questions and learn things just by being present in class great Right uh, to me, that is that is fine and, and not a problem. And you got to remember that. The other thing is, and I'm trying to. I've done this a little bit. I'm trying to do it across the board. Is options right? When I put out uh, a homework and they have to watch two videos, let's say, um, those aren't the only options. There's also another set of videos that I didn't make. I make all my own video content. If you don't like my voice, why don't you try this this person? He's a popular science YouTuber. Uh, here's an article from Khan Academy that covers the same thing. Um, and I think I even go, what's my other option? Oh, textbook pages. Every once in a while, there's a kid that wants to read the textbook. They're really focused on doing super well and they want to nail it down. Here's the textbook pages too. Options can, can help a lot with that. So just try to keep all those things leveled as you're putting together your flip lessons. So we just got done talking about how we 
provide instruction, whether it's face-to-face or flipped or whatever it is. We talked about the do now. So let's get into some of our activities that we like to do in blended learning over the past, say, 10 to 15 years. It's all blurring together. I don't know when exactly (laughs) we started all this stuff, but I know one of my favorite activities were QR codes. We used to do QR code scavenger hunts, whether it's in the classroom or in the whole around the building. Sometimes I did them outside, but I would give them a question or a task and the QR code would actually give them the link to a flipped grid where they would have to record a video. Now, at first they loved doing this. Uh, as I kept doing it, they wanted it to change up. So now what I'm doing, and I just tried this in you know, one of my classes, uh, the QR code is going to lead towards like a zoo. And most zoos, the larger zoos have cameras that allow you to watch a featured uh, animal or something like that. Uh, so one of my things is was observations. I just wanted them to observe the animal for a two minute period. So that QR code gave that link to that live cam. All right, and then based on the you know observations, they had to make inferences as how that's causing the animal to behave different from being you know in the zoo versus out in the wild. So, I mean that seemed to spruce up the activity a little bit. They loved watching the animals, uh, and then what they had to do is deep dive into a set of questions. Uh, I just felt like it was. It, it brought that gamification in there uh, a little bit where they had to find these uh, these QR codes, but it also allowed them to have um, get the content and answer questions and work with the content in a unique way. Yeah, I mean, with QR codes, it's 2023, and we've all, especially having gone through COVID, where you're eating out at a restaurant and you got to... I mean, we were scanning QR codes for everything. People can get kind of sick of them and students are no different you know at the beginning like you were saying it was just a novelty that it even existed right so you were we were just using qr codes all over the place because it was new and different you can't use them that way anymore because they're not new and different and in fact i don't want to have to do that just because i can there's often a lot better easier ways uh, to get to a spot online than scanning a qr code so you know, really think about that. Like for me, QR codes now are just when they're absolutely needed, which is when I'm doing something on paper, then the QR code serves as an interface to get kids that supplemental online resource. Um, if, they, if my students were looking at that same paper document on their computer screen, there's no need to do a QR code. Uh, put a link in there that they can click. It's way faster and easier Whereas the QR code, it just kind of becomes like a nuisance because you got to get your phone out, open up the camera, scan it in. So you got to really pay attention to like, do I need to use this thing at this time? And I think that that helps and kind of should be the natural evolution of all this stuff. You know, here's one thing. This isn't necessarily going to add something new, but I think it's worth mentioning something that has not faded at all is the, the classic station rotation activity never gets old. I don't think it's ever going to get old just because by its nature, you're getting kids up, they're moving, there's options, they're changing what their attention is on every five minutes as they rotate stations. For me, station rotation is, 
it's a no-brainer. And I don't know if that can ever go wrong or will go wrong. Um, it's just over time as you do it, you figure out better ways to like manage that from a classroom perspective in terms of you know, grouping and how the kids move around and where I stand as the teacher and what I'm doing as the teacher. You know, I might have thought I needed to hang out at station A, but actually it's station D and you can, and that's where the students are gonna need help and you can kind of hone that stuff over time. That's all I'm gonna say about stations because I think they still uh, rock as a classroom activity. I'm gonna agree yeah. to an extent. Okay. I, I think the stations are fine. But what I see is a lot of teachers using stations as, hey, you answer these three questions at this table, you go over here, you answer these three questions. Yeah. I would love to see other types of resources being used in order to, for them to be able to answer questions. All right. Everyone had to read a one-page passage and then they had to go to this table and discuss this question, this table to discuss this question. All right, so maybe instead of just giving everyone that one-page passage, maybe at the first table there's a 15-second clip of that journal article. All right, there's a 15-second clip. It's read to them, or maybe you could find a video of that clip if it's something that you're doing in, like, English class or movie lit or class or something like that. Or... Maybe it's a process in science. You can take that process from YouTube video and just have them watch this 20 seconds. All right, so watch this as a group. Discuss these questions. All right, now let's move on to a different group. Just so it's not just answer this question, answer this question, answer this question. It has to be a little different. You have to really catch their attention in different ways. For a lot of people, that article is not going to be engaging for them. They'll read it, they might not know what it means. They'll read it, they might participate, but are they really engaging with the content? So let's spruce up those stations. Maybe uh, even the stations could be mixed in with these QR codes. They, they, they use their phone or their Chromebook, scan the QR code, and there's the video resource, or there's the part of a podcast, or there, you know, whatever it may be. But Let's spruce them up a little bit. I think what you're saying, this goes back to what you brought up at the beginning, is that, you know, is your are your stations really just a worksheet? You know what I mean? Did you break up your 10 questions and put them at different spots around the room? Maybe. Maybe there's a benefit to that, just in that the kids are standing up and moving, which, which is something. Um, but you really got to consider, like, is there a reason to do this in stations, or am I just doing it to do it, to say that, we're working through stations today. One thing I saw the other day is a teacher took out, printed out a picture and then cut them up to make a puzzle. And the kids had to put the puzzle together first and it was a symbol. Right? I think it was like uh, the eagle that you would find on the back of a 50 cent piece. Right? And they had, and the questions were, had to do with how does this, or what does this symbolize? How does it reckon, or resemble America? Uh, you know, things like that. And it got kids thinking. So they might not remember an eagle if, if it's just part of a like worksheet or something like that, but they might remember it because they physically were working together to put a, together a puzzle. I know it sounds kind of ridiculous, 
But me as a learner, when I thought back, anytime I could use my hands to make something, it immediately went to memory. Anytime I saw a picture, it immediately went to memory. Where I lacked was being able to read very long passages and pulling out the minutia that was important in there. And I think this will really help bring everybody on an equal playing ground. I love it. And I've got one more activity that I want to throw in here. I may have mentioned this a few episodes back, but it comes up again. Um, It's going to tie together two really engaging things, gamification and community outreach. I haven't done it yet, but I know I'm going to do it because I can't get it out of my mind. And that is, as a class project, I want my students to create a game where typically I'm making the game and then they play it. We're all going to make the game together and then that game gets set up out in the community, so in the town where all the students live, um, almost as like a thing that people can stumble upon, uh, sort of geocache style, except these the, the elements of the game are not hidden, they're just like up and around uh, the main street, or like a, a puzzle that people can solve in, as they walk around the town where the school is centered in. I think there's so many benefits to that. You've got, of course, the, the fun of making a game, Uh, the buy-in of the kids knowing that it's going to be out there for people to actually play and use and solve these riddles. Uh, They're learning as they put it together. That's the part that takes a lot of work, at least for me, because I'm not just going to do it to do it, right? They have to be gaining something in the process. Um, There's work like you want to make sure you're allowed to do that, like whatever this game is, can you put these puzzle pieces or these QR codes, can you hang them up? Uh, you don't want them to fall down and then become trash and litter because that would be bad press for you. But I really want to do something like this, and if not in the community, maybe just around the school, so it becomes like a school-wide game that this class put together and students can play as they walk through the hallway during passing time. I know that's super vague, uh, but that's just the stage I'm at with it, and I think that is that's the type of really creative spin um, that at least I'm trying to get to these days to to help push kids to to keep enjoying blend and learning and the type of stuff that comes with it. I, I like this a lot, and I'm going to bring it back to the QR code. Yeah. All right, so maybe you brand a QR code the way that it looks, and your students have to talk about the chemistry of the place that it's at. So maybe you partner up with, you know, one of the pizza places around here. There's a QR code there. People scan it, and it's a student-made video of the chemistry behind of making a pizza. You go to another place and it's a quilt shop. What is the chemistry behind the yarn making process of that quilt shop? And it's all over different areas. So your students get to pick the place and then make a video or some type of learning material that the community then can enjoy. I really love that. All right, we're gonna close it out with assessments and there's not too much there's not too much to really even say here. You just, you know, like everything else we've mentioned so far, you've got to make sure it's purposeful if you're doing online assessments. Why? Is there a benefit? Does it help the kids? Is it easier? You know, for me, the resounding answer is yes. They don't always like them, but there's so many benefits. Like, you know, if you've got that virtual assessment uh, that might have a built-in reader. So for your students that need to hear the questions spoken in an audio format, it's going to do that automatically. The time in grading that it saves you, and that's getting better and better with AI as that advances as well. So, you know, I think there's lots of great stuff there. The other thing we wanted to mention is 
Don't forget about tools like Kahoot and Quizzes and Blukit and all the others. Quizzes in particular, uh, I, and I only know that one because we're using it extensively within our district this year. These tools are a lot more than just quizzing tools these days. They are everything. They're presenting tools. They are ways to push out content to the students. They're ways, they are ways to run a flipped classroom. Um, you know, it's sort of what we're describing is something we've talked about before, and that is the EdTech tools that are gonna survive are the ones that do everything. So EdPuzzle, for example, is not just pushing out video content anymore. With EdPuzzle, you can record your own screencasts and then push them out in the same way. Uh, and and they're, they're just building in all of these different things into every single tool, and, and Quiz is, is a prime example of that. And um, you know, I think that's I think that's probably it for assessments. I think that's also probably it for this episode. So if you don't mind, dude, I'm just gonna wrap it up. Uh, just like always, everybody, do us some favors. Subscribe to Got Tech the Podcast on Apple, preferably. You can find us on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Check us out on YouTube at We Got Tech, uh, Twitter, now X, and Facebook. We're in all these places. Please write us uh, an Apple podcast review if you really like the show. Let us know what you like about it. That helps the program a lot. Tell your friends about us. Tell your friends about gottech.com, our website. And if you're telling them that, tell them about the Teach Better Podcast Network, where you can find us, along with Lots of other really awesome educational podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geis and I individually at Geis Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.